Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... And then all of a sudden, one day it just dawns on us, the dime drops, if you will, that I have been going my own way and I need to turn to God. I am messing up my life. It's not going well. I got to get it together. And you turn to God and he says, you're never going to get it together. But if you put your trust in my son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life in your place, died a sinner's death on the cross in your place, and rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, now sits as the glorious ascended king, if you put your trust in him, he'll clean you up. Does your mind play tricks on you? The Bible teaches us that a mind filled with Christ is the most fulfilled and complete. Today, Pastor Jim explains how important it is to fill our minds with the right things. With that in mind, here's Pastor Jim in the book of Philippians chapter 4 with his message entitled, Joyful Thinking. Well, our culture loves slogans, doesn't it? And I always like to look at some of the different slogans that seem to last a long time in our culture. And over 40 years ago, there was a great one that's still around today from the United Negro College Fund. And it goes like this, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Do you know that that slogan, that campaign has raised $2.2 billion? That campaign has helped over 350,000 students. And that slogan has become part of the American fabric. And Christians are called to the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is a terrible thing to waste. As we continue in the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, he's writing from jail to a church that he founded some 10 years earlier. He's several hundreds of miles away in jail. Why is he in jail? He was telling people that Jesus is Lord. That meant by implication Caesar was not, and Caesar didn't like that. And so he was in jail wondering whether he was going to be released, maybe have a little bit more time, or even get his head chopped off. So he's writing a letter from jail to this church that he founded some 10 years ago. He went to an area where he didn't know anybody, similar to what my wife and I and kids did up here, moved to an area where he didn't know anybody, opened up the word of God and started teaching people, and a church formed. But now they're having some problems. Maybe they're starting to get a little bit lackadaisical, taking it easy. They're not as excited about the things of God as they were before, and the pinch is coming from the government, the pinch is coming from the outside, and they're actually even having some internal problems where some of the people are not getting along. Yet the apostle doesn't want problems and worry to define them. And God doesn't want problems and worry to define you and I. In Philippians chapter 4, the previous verses, we came away with this conclusion that God wants us to trade our worry for prayer. So instead of worrying and let our mind racing a thousand miles an hour, the Lord said, why don't you just come to me and why don't you pray? And he said, if you do, I will guard your heart and I will guard your mind. Picture yourself as being inside of some sort of a walled kingdom and God says, I'll support the wall. When you pray, I'll keep the onslaught out. And today he continues this thinking specifically with their thinking and with our thinking. And as we've done in all of our messages in the book of Philippians, they've all begun with the word joyful and the title of today's message is joyful thinking. 
We've been saying this, if you notice that your mind plays tricks on you, it's been interesting the past few weeks, some of you have been saying, you know, I've been noticing it more than I ever did before. I mean, an idea pops in my head and before I know it, I'm four miles down the road and nothing's changed. Just my thinking. We talked about our future and we paint a picture of our future. And then we look at the picture and we go, wasn't Jesus supposed to be in that picture? But worry has eased him out. It's cropped him out. It has cut him out of the picture. Anxiety has taken us down a crazy path. Well, there's another expression that's very common in our culture. It's this, garbage in, garbage out. That's true, right? Or you are what you eat. What we put into ourselves will largely dictate what comes out of us. And the Apostle Paul is teaching the Philippian church and teaching us that in many ways, faith is a battle of the mind. That is a large place where the battle is going to take place in your mind and in my mind. And a big part of fighting this battle is to change what we put into our mind. If you will, to regulate what we put in our mind and to fill our minds with the truth of God's word instead of the lie or the error of worry. Now, for those of you who like to take notes, there's three things we want to look at this morning in the pursuit of joyful thinking. And it is a pursuit. I know a lot of people like to live their Christian life with the bumper sticker that says, let go and let God. Take that one off, please. <laughs> right? And don't cover it with God as my co-pilot. That's worse. Okay? God's not the co-pilot. He's the pilot. But God calls us to certain responsibilities. We hold in tight tension here that there is God's sovereignty, that God is in control of the world, and we hold man's responsibility. We must let God do his thing and we must do our part. So sometimes people say, well, you know, I guess I went out and did this and that was wrong and I guess that's what God wanted me to do because he's sovereign. That's silly. That's silly. That's putting the blame off somewhere else. Remember we say oftentimes that God is sovereign over a world where much happens he hates. And so he is in control, but we have our responsibility to pursue him. We are to pursue him. If you're not a Christian, can I give you the glorious good news? God is pursuing you. That is wonderful good news. He's pursuing you. You say, well, how do you know? You're in a warehouse in Dover. (laughs) Listening to some guy who, you know, didn't know anything about God till he was 29 years old telling you, wearing jeans and his shirt's not even tucked in. You're like, he's the pastor? Scary, isn't it? No one's more scared than me. No, we have to pursue God and we have to pursue him on the level of our thinking. So if you're taking notes, number one, he talks to us about a mind filled with Christ. A mind filled with Christ. He begins verse eight, finally. Now the people who've been here a long time know this. When a preacher says finally, it means absolutely nothing. (laughs) When he says as we close, it means you have another 25 minutes. In fact, that's the way he began chapter three, and then there was still two more chapters to go. Probably better to think of that he's saying, so then, or in light of what we've already been talking about, finally, brethren. That means he's talking to who? Christians. That's Christian lingo for a Christian. What is a Christian in the Bible? A Christian in the Bible is someone who has turned to God and put their trust in Jesus Christ. They realize that they've been living their life with their back to God just going their own way, doing their own thing. The Bible gives us this great illustration. All we are like sheep who have gone astray. 
And that's what it is. And then all of a sudden, one day it just dawns on us, the dime drops, if you will, that I have been going my own way and I need to turn to God. I am messing up my life. It's not going well. I gotta get it together. And you turn to God and he says, you're never gonna get it together. But if you put your trust in my son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life in your place, died a sinner's death on the cross in your place, and rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, now sits as the glorious ascended king, if you put your trust in him, he'll clean you up. He'll forgive your sins, promise you eternal life, and you can be a new creation. So he's writing to people who have already taken that step, and you can take that step today if you never have. It's a transaction that happens between you and God. And so we hear he says, finally, brethren, whatever. Now, this is not like whatever. I mean, he's not, he's not tired of them. And so these are the six whatevers of the Bible. He said, whatever things are true. Is your mind full of lies? Have people told you things that are simply not true, that you know that they're not true? Does your, does your mind default to lies? He says, whatever is true, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, some translations call it honorable, whatever things are just, other translations translate this word right, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, whatever is commendable, whatever is admirable. And then he sort of summarizes it all. He says, if there is any virtue, and the idea there is if there is any moral excellence, and if there's anything praiseworthy, probably from God's point of view, but not 100% necessary, he says, meditate on these things. Think, think about these things. Dwell, stay for a while at these things until, if you will, they become part of you. Bible doesn't tell you how to make every decision in your life. If the Bible told you how to do every single little thing, we would have all pulled in with our Bibles this morning, would have had tractor trailers. I would have said, if you want a Bible, here, let me get the crane over here and lift it over to you. God gave us a book that if we invest 20 minutes a day the entire year, we can cover the whole thing, and he gives us principles, and he gives us grids of decision-making. This is a grid of decision-making. And so here he tells them, you have to take things, these things, and you have to meditate on them. You have to think about them. You have to take them into account and they will shape who you are and how you live. Not make you some crazy, nasty religious person, but make you very different than you are today. Now, most people in most societies have a basic sense of morality. What I mean by that is right and wrong. You know, somebody kills someone. Most cultures are like, that's not good. Somebody steals your wallet. You're like, well, that's not good. Somebody steals your car. You think, well, that's not good. That's part of human beings being created in the image of God. There is a basic sense of right and wrong. Now, sadly, the television is often anti-Christian, and one of the ways they express their anti-Christianity, and I would say it's just they're ill-informed, is one of the things that they often do is they put on extreme Christians who want to say that everything in this world is bad. Well, that's not true. That's not true. Some people who are not Christians own businesses and they provide work for people, right? And that puts food on their table. That's not bad. Some of you go to school and your teachers are not Christians and they are teaching you something so you can get a job, so you can put food on your table. That is not bad. 
However, the Bible calls us to a much higher life than simply right and wrong. With the help and the hope of the Holy Spirit, it calls us to a completely new life, a transformed way of living. Back in chapter two, Paul told the Philippian church to work out the salvation that they already had, the forgiveness of sins and eternal life that the Lord had given to them, right? Work it out, live it out. Why or how? Because God was at work in them. And then we think, well, that's very good. I can do that, I can do that. And right after that, what do he say? Stop complaining. Well, I need the Holy Spirit for that, right? Stop complaining. Stop arguing. Why? Well, look what he wrote in Philippians 2.15. He said, that you may become blameless and harmless. Now, not 100%. Children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among who you shine as lights in the world. I want to just take a minute and talk to any of you for a second that would not consider yourselves to be Christians. I remember when I came into a church like ours, I actually came in because I was chasing some girl who went there. You're like, that's bad reasons. I know, but God is in control of things he doesn't always like. (laughs) And I realized that there was some sort of, in many of the people, not all this church that I was at, that there was some sort of an inner satisfaction that I kind of didn't have. And as I went for a few months, I realized something when it says shine as lights, I realized that I was really getting tired of the darkness of my own soul. And please don't think down and out or I owned a very successful business. I was doing really well. I went in a couple years from living in my van to having a house and a house at the beach and a sports car and going to meetings and having people get me cups of coffee and stuff like that. But there was a darkness in my soul that lurked and I knew it and I didn't know what to do with it. So I covered it up. I tried to act like I had it together. I tried to act that I was doing better than I really was. I kind of didn't want to be the way I was but I didn't know how to get out of it. And somehow, some way, I just saw light in people. And it was attractive to me. It was different. It was something that I had never seen before in people. One thing I love about the Bible, one thing that makes the Bible timeless is rather than always being specific, that's why I wasn't too specific in the grid that we just went through. I want you to apply it to your life. I want God to speak to you as he would speak to me in this Rather than being specific, the Bible adapts to culture. You know, we often say that if you listen to a guy on TV and that message can't be taken to the poorest places in Africa, then it's not a Bible lesson. Oh, sure, the illustrations might change. But the word of God is consistent, can be taken to any culture. Unlike other religions where people come into a town and they go, okay, now we're in charge, you have to be like us. The Bible comes in and says, Christ will come alongside of you and be with you in your culture. Now, when I say it adapts to a culture, that doesn't mean compromise. That doesn't mean the Bible's trying to fit in. It means that the Bible works anywhere. Even in areas that might, you're wondering what is going on here. You take something like this and you funnel it through. But it doesn't just happen by just being moral. And so many of us have been sold a bill of goods in a Christianity that's simply moral. Morality 
Faithfulness, if you're married to your husband and wife, is a byproduct of who Jesus has made you. It's not what makes you a Christian. It's a byproduct of what a Christian is. It's a byproduct of love. And so here, we have to understand that it has to do with faith. It has to do with trusting in God. And it has to do with the condition of our minds. Because this is, again, where the battle is so often fought. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Keep your heart with all diligence. Some versions say this, guard it. And often the heart is the same as the mind in the Bible. Guard it, for out of it spring the issues of life. Some versions say the course of your life. So much of your life will be lived out of your heart and your mind and what you do with it. Mark 12, 30 and 31, Jesus says this. He goes, guy comes to him, religious guy comes to him and says, hey, tell me what's the greatest commandment. Jesus says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Engaging your mind in the love of God in the pages of the Bible. He says, this is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. But notice how they walk together. You cannot say you love God and hate people but you can't love people to the exclusion of God. And true Christianity is this, is when the love of God invades your heart so deeply, so deeply, that it transmits to the love of others. You become the friend that can be counted on. You become the one who wants to help others. He says here, whatever is true, that should be the mark of a Christian. True is not something we hammer people with. Truth is a person we share. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And while he may have struck you down in your pride when you became a Christian, he didn't hammer you with his love, did he? He didn't hammer you with his mercy. He didn't hammer you with his forgiveness. Our minds should be absorbed in these things. It should be noble and just and pure and lovely and good. All things that were true of the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore a mind that God desires in all men and women. Hear it as if the apostle is telling us this. If you want to be like Jesus, and most people do, if you want to be like Jesus, you've got to start to think like Jesus. And that begins with filling our minds with truth. And let's be honest, all of us, none of us are exempt from this. Our minds are filled with garbage, isn't it? absolute garbage. Between the TV and the internet, we are onslaughted with garbage, garbage, garbage. Some studies say that the average person spends 25% of their awake time on television or the internet, and that's not work. It's a huge failure point for many Christians, and yet we struggle because we don't make adjustments and yet the Bible teaches, the Bible never says to you, just get rid of this. It's always put this off and put this on. I liken it to this. It's just say you have this old ratty coat, right? It's just garbage. And God comes along and says to you, you're a child of the king. My kids don't dress like that. Put off that old coat and put on the righteous robe of Jesus Christ. So it's always put off and put on. And so the Bible doesn't say just toss the garbage out. It says replace it with the truth of the word of God. 
And let me tell you this, that I know it, that I know it from my own life and I see it and I see it from the lives of so many people in our own church and the lives of so many people I know. When you fill yourself up with the truth of the word of God, your appetite changes. You don't begin to love the same stuff anymore. You begin to love Jesus. Sometimes with some of the men in the church, some of you women are always wondering what I say to these guys. I always tell them, I say, you know, we need to fill ourselves up with Jesus so we love God, right? And like, well, I'm real busy, I'm real busy, I'm real busy. I said, if you're too busy, you won't love God. You've got to take that time. And then as we're leaving, I'll say, hey, let's go to New York City and go to some prostitutes. And they'll go, Pastor Jim, right? You can't do that. And I say, why wouldn't we do that? And they go, we're married men. We love our wives. Because what? Their desires have changed. They are filled with love. And this is what the word of God will do to you if you invest in it. If you plunge into the depths of Jesus Christ, your desires will change. God's desires will become your desires. Instead of being some snobby religious person who looks down on the people of this world, you will think, why was God so merciful to me? And you will want to extend the mercy of God to others. Now, I don't know about you, but it scares me to death that God knows our thoughts. Does that scare you? That scares me. But it's important to see that real change And I believe that most everyone in this room wants real change. We're so always dissatisfied with things. Real change must begin with our thoughts. It has to. It has to because if it doesn't, what I want at the moment will rule. What I feel at the moment will rule. Young people, please, I beg of you, as someone who made a mistake in this area of my life, and honestly, it cost me 15 years of my life, what are you going to do when they offer you drugs? What is your answer? What are you going to do when they say to you, get in the car, and the driver's been drinking, or you don't know where they're going, or you don't know the driver? What are you going to do? Make up your mind now. Make up your mind now. I never dreamed it would be a 15-year ride for me. Never dreamed of it. And so please, loved ones, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount shows us that our actions are so deeply related to our thinking. One of my favorite biblical counselors to read is a fellow by the name of Paul Tripp. He tells a story of one time when him and his family, he's a younger kid and they go to some party and his uncle is drunk as a skunk and saying all kinds of dumb stuff and perverted things. So then he says, well, for my mom, it was like the rapture, man. I mean, just my mom grabbed me up and my brother and whisked me out of there. We got out of that place. And she threw us in the back of the car and we're driving down the road. We're breaking the law. We're speeding. We're going down. We come to a light. And my mother turns to us and she says this, listen, there's never anything that comes out of the mouth of a drunk that wasn't in their heart to begin with. And if our mind is filled with sin, given the opportunity, it will. If our mind is full of lust, given the opportunity to act it out, we might just act it out. Great Bible illustration of this. Two men, both really highly esteemed in the Bible, one by the name of Joseph. He's taken as a slave. Things are not going well. He's in the house of a fellow by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar's wife comes up. Potiphar's gone. He's out. How would you like to come and lie with me? And that doesn't mean tell a lie. What does he say? 
How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? What did he do? His mind had already made up in advance what he was going to do. We have another fellow, one of the greatest Bible writers the world has ever seen, David. What is he supposed to do? He's supposed to be out with the troops. What is he doing? He's up on the roof looking at some girl named Bathsheba doing something he's not supposed to do. And given the opportunity, what does he do? He takes her in. And then to cover up the crime, what does he do? He kills her husband. But it was all in his heart. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us on today's edition of Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Would you like to hear this message again? Simply log on to our website, www.changedbyloveradio.com. There, you can listen to archive broadcasts, load our mobile app, as well as listen to Pastor Jim's easy-to-follow, verse-by-verse teaching on much of the Bible. You can also request a CD of this message in its original, unedited form on our website. If you would prefer to write to us, our address is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. That's Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Or you can give us a call at 973-659-3380. Once again, that's 973-659-3380. Changed by Love is sponsored by listeners like you. We are so thankful for your continued support and prayers that allow us to bring our show to you on this station. Make sure you tell your friends and family about Changed by Love on this station, as well as how to listen to Pastor Jim on our website and mobile app. In the next edition of Changed by Love, Pastor Jim will continue teaching through God's Word. Glance at the clock right now, and please make plans to join us next time to be encouraged, comforted, and challenged by the Word of God. You are all a blessing to us. We hope to see you next time here on Changed by Love.